This is the Pain Information Network. A little Q&A today, some announcements, and I have a guest. Welcome back, and I get questions. I appreciate your questions on paininformation.com. I'm building it out, and a little housekeeping on paininformation.com. I have held off a lot of content because I want it to be more visual, and I'm about ready to start populating it. I'm going to start putting webinars on, and these webinars are going to be kind of kind of fun because uh, you'll get to hear me actually do some of the uh, talks and lectures that I've I've done in the past. Some that are real popular, some that are. Uh, a little odd, and some definitely directed towards the professional, some uh, directed toward uh, the consumer. And the point is, you know, paininformation.com is a landing page where people come and uh, from all walks of life. I've had questions from Egypt. <laughs> they they can feel comfortable there that I'm going to be as objective as possible, and I'm going to pretty much call it like the it is. And it's just going to be a good place for information as it should be. So the webinars are going to be starting probably within the week of the, this dated recording. Uh, this is the holiday season, and I have not put as many out, uh, these podcasts, that I've wanted to because I've been kind of busy. So here's another announcement. We are in the process of opening a specialty treatment facility. More information about that as it comes, but it's going to be on the coastal area of North Carolina for pain, addiction, and depression. So more to come on that. It's a it's a real deal. It's going to be a destination and people that need help, people that need uh, the types of treatments that might not be able to get locally can come visit us, and we might have some real options for them. So this is a work in progress, and I'll tell you more about it. It's not promotional by any means. It's a uh, exciting opportunity to offer the types of treatments that folks just have trouble with access. So more to come on that. My guest is going to be Christy Davies today, and she'll talk about her company, and I uh, right now don't have any affiliation with them, and uh, this is more of an informational uh, discussion. She was uh, one of the sponsors at the California meeting that I went to, and she's just as bubbly and as enthusiastic as can be, so she's fun to listen to. I had her on, and uh, she and her folks are an excellent source of information. I bet the consumer could call their place, and they'd be happy to talk to them about their products, what they do. Professional certainly has access to them, and a high level of quality product. So, I think it's probably worth uh, taking a good listen there. And the Q&A, these are very interesting questions. I had some questions from actually my patients uh, that came in and said, what about this uh, Narcan, naloxone? They want to know about it because it's getting more media attention. It's getting more media attention because it's being uh, put out there. And we have so many opioid overdoses and deaths in the United States and the world, it's now becoming a staple on the street for firefighters, first responders in general, even police. With minimal medical training, this uh, naloxone can be given and life-saving uh, results follow, particularly with an opioid overdose. So I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. The other question I 
run across a lot is why does my pain migrate? Why is it hurt over here one day? Or I was just sitting there and I got up and now all of a sudden I hurt on the other side of where I have never hurt before. I hear it in extremities. I hear it generally speaking in the axial system, low back, neck, and headaches. And I'm going to probably uh, spend a couple of minutes uh, trying to sort that enigma out. And it, it it's it's a tough one to do. It's a generalized problem. Most people in the, in the world don't realize we are asymmetrical. We aren't supposed to be symmetrical. We aren't supposed to be one side exactly like the other side. And so we'll talk about that. And also we're going to talk a little bit about a newer uh, opioid that everything old is new again, levorphanol. It's been kind of reintroduced into the medical community, and it's an interesting drug. It deserves a minute. And it's available in the United States and the world. Actually, it's an important drug. And I have used it for my entire career. It's a good opioid with very interesting characteristics. So we're going to talk about that, too. All right, so let's start off with eloxone hydrochloride, or Narcan, as its trade name. All right, so the question comes in. What is Narcan and Naloxone? And they're reading about it, they're hearing about it, and they understand it's potentially life-saving. And should I have that at the house, and should it be available because my loved one is receiving an opioid, should I have it around? Well, the resounding answer is probably maybe. It, it really kind of depends. If you're getting a PRN or as-needed short-term opioid for uh, a relatively uneventful injury and you're otherwise healthy and you don't have a lot of medical problems, I don't know. I don't think it's probably worth it having it around because it, this is not the face of misuse, abuse, and diversion. Not necessarily the potential for overdose. But what you've heard me say before, and I truly believe it, is by the second or third prescription of a potent opioid, says oxycodone as the one I beat up the most, um, you're becoming dependent. And this is a scenario I see. I don't want to alarm folks because there is clear indication for these medications, but we have to be careful. Sometimes in that six to ten minute uh, office interview that we have if we're that lucky we don't take the time to kind of get the inside track so this is a scenario i i walk in a room and this is an individual that is here to see me about suboxone they realize they have an opioid problem they realize they're hooked Uh, one patient i had uh, the other day goes to work and is taking 11 Percocets uh, just to go to work, 11. Where are they coming from? Of course, they're coming from the street. But this person knows they're in trouble. They know they're hooked. They want help. It's wildly expensive. It's breaking their family up. So they come in and hat in hand, and and they're freaking serious about getting help. It's been heavy on them. They know they have a dependency, abuse They know they have uh, a problem with uh, the amount of acetaminophen they're getting. They just know a lot because they've been on the Internet, and they're scared. Now, remember, no judgment, no judgment. This is not a moral failing. They got hooked, and this is the story. 
Well, I got hurt in high school, and it was a sports injury. Um, I was, might have been another one that I recently heard of. He rode, rode these uh, dirt bikes and fell quite a bit, and it just helped him get through the race to take a couple of uh, Percocet. And the football player that was hurt a couple of times, a hip problem in particular, the one I'm thinking about, and uh, by the second or third Percocet prescription, and I'm beating up on Percocet, I, it could be anything, you know, Doc, I'm, I'm going to need a little bit more of that because I'm still having trouble. The NFL knows about it. The NFL recognized uh, many years ago that their athletes were procuring and taking these drugs just to get through uh, the day, uh, get through the practice, get through the game. What does NFL stand for? Not for long. And most of these players realize they have a finite amount of time before they're out of the league. Those drugs are keeping them in the league. And they may also supplement with steroids or something like this, but those are more detectable in most cases. So, all right, this uh, young man, young woman, is uh, in my office, 25, 26, uh, and they got a problem. And it all started with those well-meaning prescriptions. The fact that we're busy and we don't always ask all the questions we're supposed to ask. And as providers, there we go. Tip of the pin, connected to the arm, connected to the, <laughs> to the brain, the educated brain, is not making the best decision at the moment. That's not to say that they're clinically indicated, and that is the point. Is it clinically indicated, or is it the red flag that should be telling us, maybe we have other ways to treat your pain? Now, let's talk about that. Slow the visit down, talk a little bit more, and figure out non-narcotic options, non-habituating options, or else... Is this a dependency waiting to become an addiction? All right, so this is that person, and they come in. They're now saying, I want help, and I want Suboxone or Buprenorphine, and that's just one of the brands, Zubzolve, Subutex. Um, that we don't like to use Subutex because, well, what? It's pure drug, and it can be snorted. And what folks don't realize is uh, right now, Buprenorphine is uh, number three or number four on the top of the list of most abused drugs. That's off topic right now, but the reason is people don't like to go through withdrawal. And the other reason is these drugs have such a long half-life, they last for so long, you might be able to take your Subutex or Suboxone and still kind of feel okay the next day. You don't have all those cravings, so you got a pill there, an extra pill, and it could be diverted. So the point is, here we are. How does Narcan figure into that? How does Naloxone figure into that? Well, because Subutex can be snorted and abused, and there have been deaths, and risk with benzodiazepine and Subutex is fairly high, and uh, we go right down the list of uh, risk factors, it's been incorporated in Subsolve and Suboxone. In the strips, which is a film, goes between the cheek, and... The pill, the subsol, it's in there. Why? Well, when you take it orally, the naloxone isn't a big deal. It just kind of goes away. If you try to snort it, 
the naloxone overwhelms uh, suboxone or the subsolve, and you don't have as much of a risk because there is still a risk of having a potential for overdose. So it's in there. So the drug we use for addiction <laughs> had to have Narcan put it in it, put in it to, to defeat its misuse, abuse, and diversion. Oh, and it has. People seek Subutex. All right, the question is, um, what do you do about somebody that's pregnant that's using heroin or something like that? The mother study, M-O-T-H-E-R, um, is an interesting study. It's on the Internet. People should read it. It's okay to treat pregnant folks with buprenorphine products. And the question is, is Narcan or naloxone uh, safe, or should it be the pure drug Subutex? And there is a feeling among professionals that naloxone is okay in pregnancy. I'm just going to say that, but this one caveat. The reason we like to keep pregnant folks on buprenorphine is because it not only diminishes aberrant behaviors, IV drug abuse and everything that goes with that, but it is important to avoid withdrawal because there can be a miscarriage. So we will talk more about that on another podcast. All right, so let's talk about the basics of naloxone. We have an individual who is now either hooked on drugs or dependent, and they're not in a buprenorphine program, and they're seeking drugs. Okay. If they're on a pretty high dose of morphine, let's say we call it morphine equivalents, milligram morphine equivalents. There's a number of ways of calling it. Say somewhere between 80 to 100 to 120. Depending on the potency of the drug, some drugs are much more potent than others. It's not a bad idea to have naloxone available. All right, how does it come? Well, it, it comes uh, in a form that's injectable, intravenous, and IM. And it comes, as I just told you, in a pill form, and you can also use it nasally. So the first responders are probably going to use it nasally. There's also an auto-injector. It actually talks to you and tells you how to use it. And I think that's pretty pricey. Now, I've talked about benzodiazepines. If folks are taking benzodiazepines, and it seems like too many are, and they are given a prescription of opioid, I think you better... Uh, have this available. People just can't abruptly stop benzodiazepines. Talk it over with your doctor. But please, people, try to get off those drugs. They're okay for a short period of time, but I have a number of patients in my practice who've been on them 10 years, 15 years, and they really tie my hands. It limits my options. Here you have these different ways of administering naloxone. It goes in there and it reverses uh, an opioid overdose. Number of different mechanisms of how that happens. Naloxone wants that mu opioid receptor. That's where the opioids sit that causes all the downside and the upside, actually. And so it's very intense at that receptor. And so what it does is it... Um, gets to the receptor and antagonizes the opioid. It just is its mean buddy and kicks it off. So 
what what can happen? Yeah, you can throw somebody in withdrawal. And I've talked about that before. I've given this drug you know, when I was a paramedic in another life and in the ER. And I have watched people just wake up swinging. So what's going to happen next? Well, they have a strong possibility of re-narcotizing. Well, this is important. You give this drug IV, its half-life is not that long. you know, And, it's, and if they take a long-acting opioid like methadone, and, and it, say it's with benzos, um, although it doesn't really reverse benzos, it can last much less so than the opioid. And so you re-narcotize. And so you just watch them slowly go back into a very sedated state, and they start going downhill. So you got to give them another dose. The other option is to put some vials in an IV bag uh, and just drip it in slowly. And that's a smooth way to get to somebody if you've got the time and wake them up. And they do wake up. <laughs> so it's a, it's a fascinating drug. It's interesting to watch how people react to it, particularly in the IV form. But it's a lifesaver. Now, if you give it IM, it takes longer to work. It can take, it can take 15 to 30 minutes sometimes. It depends on the dose you give. And it may last a little longer, but it's just probably not the greatest route, although the auto-injector relies on the IM route. So their data suggests it's pretty fast. Uh, anything helps, take it when you can get it. And the nasal is, is really fast, too. So that's in a little vial, and it's uh, put in the nose and injected pretty straightforward. And it's absorbed in the uh, nasal mucosa, and people wake up. Narcan is a drug that's here to stay. World Health Organization considers it a list of essential medications. That's that's an important list. It can be either really cheap or it can be really expensive. It depends on how it's uh, uh, delivered. I think the more sophisticated system, the more uh, expensive it's going to be. I've talked a little bit about this drug before, worth going back and listening to that podcast. SAMHSA is actually in support of this drug as part of a opioid toolkit, they call it. And you can get information on uh, samhsa.gov. It's uh, worth reading about if you have an interest or a loved one that's on an opioid and you're concerned. Why does my pain move around? It depends. It depends on your diagnosis. It depends on underlying pathology. I'm just going to say that. I know that's kind of a cop-out to say that, but think about it. If you've had back surgery or you have a mechanical back pain or you have a reason uh, to be hurting, especially with associated uh, comorbidity, it might be obesity, it might be diabetes, it can be a discogenic pathology, facet pathology, when you move around, you change the structural elements a little bit. And say in failed back surgery syndrome or failed back surgery or whatever people call uh, the back problems you get after surgery, there might be more scar material back there or you've lost some of the tissues back there like the epidural fat and you have some adhesions maybe back there. You're going to turn around and twist around and you're going to be tethering and pulling on the dura and other structures that are sensitive. And so you can hurt. Say your facet. Say you twist and one day you're fine. The next uh, few minutes you're kind of feeling kind of crummy. Well, you might have 
taken that facet joint and irritated it, and it became uh, inflammatory tissue. Therefore, it hurts. So that's a possibility, and, and the list goes on and on. As far as headaches go, that's a very technical question. I'm going to give that one to Andrea, and she's uh, traveling, and she's a world traveler and speaks worldwide. But uh, there's a number of reasons why headaches can be migratory. Uh, go to one side and the other, vascular, uh, it can be pulling on the meninges, it can be a number of reasons. So we're going we're gonna to toss that one out for another podcast. But the reasons are multifactorial. But if you don't have any big changes neurologically or you're okay and you just notice it's a nuisance, well, it'll probably self-resolve. Um, if not, go see a physician or a qualified practitioner. The overwhelming number of times I tell my patients, just don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. If it doesn't resolve, more diagnostics, more therapeutics. It doesn't necessarily mean more pain pills. It doesn't necessarily mean something is dramatically new. Lorfanol is a a good drug. It's L-E-V-O-R-P-H-A-N-O-L. Its brand name is uh, Levodromeran. And it's an opioid. It's a very potent opioid, and it works at the mu opioid receptor. It also works at the K opioid receptor, the sigma, and it works, interestingly, at the NMDA receptor, N-methyl-D-aspartate. So we have another tool for neuropathic pain. Say somebody has kind of a burning dysesthesia, they have some back pain, they need a pure mu opioid agonist, but they also have these uh, neuropathic uh, descriptors, which I believe in most pain problems is present about 80% of the time. Well, this is an option. About eight times, I think it's even a little more potent than uh, morphine. And morphine uh, does not Uh, work at the NMDA receptor. Another drug that purportedly works at the NMDA receptor and is over-prescribed for that with the hopes that they're going to get a good result with uh, uh, their neuropathic pain and their overall pain is methadone. And methadone is about 3 to 5% of the prescriptions out there, and it's associated with about 30% deaths. It's got an incredibly long half-life, and it interacts with many other drugs, particularly uh, elevating its half-life, and it's, it's a problematic drug. As be, has been said, um, methadone has no sense of humor that we are aware of. That is a drug I rarely use. So here, here's another a new drug that is really quite old. It's been around for a while. I had it uh, in my training and it was, it was one of those we grabbed when we needed good pain control. Dates back to 61, and it's a, a Schedule II drug, so it just doesn't come easy. Many doctors uh, and providers uh, don't have a great familiarity with this drug. Anesthesiologists do. So one thing um, you may want to do is talk over with your healthcare provider if you have pain and you're on opioids and you have those burning type pains and they've tried you on the gabapentinoids and this sort of thing or in conjunction with them and you're just not getting anywhere uh, and a, a really good alternative to methadone keep in mind it lasts quite a ways um, it's uh, anywhere between six to you know 12 hours and even longer depending on comorbidity just keep in mind that uh, this is a new available option orally and it's uh 
It's a nice emerging drug. Uh, it has a pr- in the United States it has pretty good availability, so it's a, uh, a drug to learn a little bit about, and you can uh, read about it on the internet a little. It's just a, a nice option. Here we are. We got another one. Okay, all right. Let's go on to the interview. So let's get to it. Christy Davies today, and uh, we appreciate her coming on the podcast. And she goes uh, right on the heels of our regenerative medicine discussion uh, that we did last night. And tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Christy Davies, as you said, and I'm the VP of Business Development at Apex Biologics based out of Salt Lake City, Utah. Yeah, a great place to live. I love it there. So what is Apex? Apex Biologics is a full-service organization um, providing product as well as education and marketing materials for our physicians that are wanting to move into the regenerative medicine space. Okay. So uh, some of these materials would be like the the standard things we would use to harvest. Uh, Some of these materials might be uh, the tools, kind of like we got to have a hammer, we got to have a nail to build a house. So what are those things? So there's a what we call our concentration devices, and this is the product that we use to separate out the um, platelets or the stem cells from the original harvest um, product that we start with. Usually, which it's either blood or bone marrow concentrate, as well as we also have the amniotic tissue, which is uh, one of the therapies that's really starting to get a little bit of traction across the country as more and more patients are finding out about the therapies availability. That's great. So. We touched a little bit about amniotic versus PRP, and from your perspective, um, what you see on the supply side, what should we be thinking about as physicians or consumers knowing we have options? Certainly. So it's first thing, you know, always, you know, to get educated. There's a lot of great education out there now. Um, there is a website called discoverstemcelltherapy.com, and that is a patient education website so that patients can go out and learn more about each of the therapies. But it's really like any other field of medicine. There's a place for everything that that we do in medicine. You know, some uh, some products are better um, for different types of therapy than, than others. Um, platelet-rich plasma is one of the forefront leaders in regenerative medicine. It's very safe. It's very easy to obtain. And a lot of providers start there. Um, Amniotic tissue and bone marrow concentrate kind of mirror off of each other. And it really depends on the patient selection of of how they like, which therapy they like to have. It sounded, (coughs) sorry, it sounded scary about this bone marrow stuff yesterday but it's it's really not that big a deal is it it is not it is not we have a lot of patients that choose to have that um and and it's it's a in and out procedure it's not anything that's going to hospitalize you at all and and most doctors are doing them in their office so if your doctor's talking to you about that just know it's it's a very safe and quick procedure yeah great so okay where's the field going well, um, the field is growing rapidly. Uh, we have a lot of uh, good uh, clinicians out there that are starting to gather more data. So we have more research papers and more studies out there, which is, of course, what we're wanting to have provided for our patients. But the results that we're getting are, are excellent. Um, we're saving patients from having surgery. Um, they're able to go back to their activities of daily living faster and go back to work faster as well than um, than they were previous to the 
to the therapies? We don't talk uh, beyond bones and joints and that sort of thing very often, but uh, PRP is being used for hair growth. Mm -hmm. It's being used for uh, cosmetic purposes. So what are some of the other things it's used for? Well, I'm I'm glad you said that. Uh, There's a lot of physicians that, because uh, platelet-rich plasma is so safe and it is so um, easy to access, there's a lot of physicians that are trying it in areas where before there was perhaps not much hope. Hair restoration, of course, is is one of them where they're able to um, stimulate the hair follicles to to promote hair growth. I I know some physicians that are actually doing this um, to stimulate hair growth for children after chemotherapy, which is a kind of a wonderful thing to do, you know, to get them back to a normal steady state after going through such a traumatic uh, experience. But um, obviously for more vain reasons as well, we'd like to have hair on our heads and... and Yeah. <laughs> and feel good. So, um, and, and aesthetics. And actually, I was working with a physician in gynecology, and they are using it for both men and women's sexual dysfunction, as well as fertility. So there's there is from there's so many wide variety of uh, ways that they're using platelet-rich plasma right now. I'm going to have you back on. I've got to go speak now. But, okay. Uh, the uh, whole idea is we have you back on in a, a year or so, and we're going to see where we are. That okay? sounds great, Dr. Hansen. Thanks so much for having me. Bye. Enjoyed being with you here, and uh, I appreciate your support. If you'd please go to iTunes, leave a review. That really helps us rank. And uh, leave me a question at paininformation.com. This is an informational show. It's not meant to diagnose or to treat anything. You've got to talk that over with a qualified healthcare professional. Because what we talk about here is pretty real stuff, and I'm glad you could hear about a new drug. I'm glad you could hear a little bit about uh, Narcan or Naloxone because it's going to be a drug of uh, the coming years, and it's going to be something that people are going to have a lot of questions about and want to know about because it's just going to be more ubiquitous. These two drugs are going to find their way into the pain care community, and uh, education's powerful. Education's very powerful. And so we'll get uh, Andrea back on when she gets back in town. And I want to wish everybody the best of the seasonal love. So we'll see you soon.